Praise God. Give God. Come on, let's give God the glory. God, we love you. You're awesome. <laughs> Woo! I was glad when they said, huh? Let's go to Heart Bay. What a place. What fellowship. What excitement. I just want you to know that young people, you tore, you tore me up. I mean, this was awesome. A church that loves young people. You guys, for over 20 years, have been a part of our camps, and we have run 26,000 students through our camps alone. And I, I just want to thank you, church, for being a part of those camps every summer. And I recognize faces, and uh, Sterling, I, I'm so excited. Nancy, thank you for your investment in the young people of this church, and thank you, Pastor Mark and Pastor Brenda, for just believing in what we're doing to reach students, young people. If you have a Bible, would you remain standing? Open it to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm just going to read verse 12 and let you be seated. I realize the only thing between you and a good lunch is me. <laughs> but I do want to say 6.30 tonight. Everybody say 6.30 tonight. I want you to come out. And the reason is I'm going to preach tonight kind of, we didn't plan this, but the Holy Spirit did. I'm going to talk about vision. And right away you're saying, oh, I've heard all about vision. Listen to me. I'm going to share with you four ways that vision comes. There was a young man went to a bookstore and he bought a book for $80. His friend looked at him and said, are you kidding me? $80 for that book? He said, the reason I paid $80 for this book, this man that wrote this book is a millionaire. And um, it's taken him 70 years to write this book about his life and how he obtained the millions of dollars that he's obtained. He said, I'm going to learn in five hours. He said what it took him 70 years to learn. And, and what I want to do tonight, I want to share with you in 40 minutes what it took me 30 years to learn. And I'm going to share with you how vision shaped my life. And how vision can shape your life. I want to tell every one of you young people, listen to me. There, there is so important and critical. You find something in life that you love doing. And you love doing it so much, you do it for free. But you do it so well, you get paid for it. And I'm telling you right now, uh, life is too short. And, and God really has something for all of us. We're all called in the full-time ministry. We just have different ways we get our paycheck signed. But we're all called. And all of us have a ministry. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to come out, 630 um, you can set uh, your recorder. You can get most stuff on TV is no good anyway. I mean, it's going to lower your IQ at least three points. Uh, we, we are desperate, man. We are desperate for entertainment. We got people that are making millions of dollars for doing nothing and having no talent. Man, are we stuck on stupid or what? I mean, there's some folks out there and you're going to uh, people at least in my day growing up they could sing i'm not going to go any further for fear i would offend someone first timothy 6 12 fight the good fight of faith take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession and the presence of many witnesses fight the good fight of faith my subject this morning is faith that fights faith that fights. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We moved from uh, Virginia to California. We landed in Hayward. I grew up in Hayward. I'll never forget leaving 
uh, elementary school and going to junior high, seventh and eighth grade. Man, it was a big challenge for me. You're kind of afraid a little bit the first day of school. You're a seventh grader, and you're going to forget your locker combination possibly or maybe get lost from going from classroom to classroom, hallway to hallway. And it wasn't there uh, probably uh, two weeks until we found out who the real bully was on campus. And his name was Larry. He was an eighth grader. And he just pushed kids around, and he, he was just uh, a bully. And uh, Larry started taking friends of mine's lunch money. And after about a month of school of avoiding Larry, one day he cornered me, and he said, Tomorrow, I want your lunch money. And so I went home, and I told my dad. And um, my dad, was just a, he's with the Lord now. He loved you, Pastor Mark. My dad, just a, he's a good man, hardworking man. Strong man, man, a few words. He's half Cherokee Indian and half Irish. And uh, he, uh, <laughs> he was a man of few words. So I told him this kid was going to take my lunch money. My dad just looked up at me and said, you're going to have to fight him. I said, sir, he goes, you're going to have to fight him. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I said, yes, sir. So I went to school the next day. <laughs> I went to school the next day and I... I went up to the biggest kid in our junior high. His name was Ron Ochoa. I said, Ron, I said, I am going to fight Larry. He said, are you kidding? Larry will kill you. You're in seventh grade, and you're not that big right now, and Larry is a lot bigger and a lot stronger. I said, I'm going to fight him. I said, listen, if I'm winning, let the fight go. If I'm losing, stop the fight. I said, because he, I wasn't, you know. He was the biggest guy in the school, and he was a fighter in golden gloves. So I said, you know, Ron, his dad was a professional fighter. So I said, Ron, listen, I'm being serious. I said, I'm, I'm going to fight him. I said, but, you know, if I'm winning, let it go. If he's beating me up, stop it. And he said, all right. And so I walked over to Larry, and I punched him. I mean, first rule of Douglas Street across the side of the tracks where my neighbor was predominantly Hispanic and African-American. Back then you said black. And Mexican, but today I, I got to be correct. I don't want anybody to be offended. I, I offend everybody every week anyway. I said last week, I said, if you can't give me a good Pentecostal amen, give me a good Baptist nod. And one Baptist in the whole crowd came up afterwards and was offended. Anyway, uh, so if you can't give me a good Pentecostal amen or a good Baptist nod, I'll take a good Methodist cough. Anyway. <laughs> So, so I hit him. I hit him hard right in the nose and blood flew and he, he grabbed me and we began to fight. We were going at it the whole recess and the recess bill rang and, and, and they broke us up. And I tell you, during that time, he got me in a leg lock, man. He was, hell, he was squeezing. I was ready to tap out. They didn't even have to tap out then. I was ready. I was tap. But I, I, I finished through the recess. I hung on pretty good and I went to my next class with PE physical education, I looked in the mirror and I had a big black eye. And I thought, wow, you know, he got me there pretty good. So I came out of my PE class and here he come running at me again, Larry. So I took my binder, I hit him in the head with the binder. And man, we, we fought again. They broke us up. They sent me to class and I'm sitting there in my uh, class. And back then when they called into the office, it wasn't privately, they came on the PA system. Mr. Panzeca, Donnie Moore, come down to the office immediately. So I walked down the office and, uh, and I went into Mr. Panzeca's uh, room there, and he just looked at me, and he said, you've been fighting. 
I said, yes, sir. I said, Larry's been taking kids' lunch money, and he said that he was going to take mine. And my daddy told me I had to fight him. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, Mr. Panzeca said, oh, he said, you fought him. He said, you're pretty good. He said, you broke his nose. He's at the hospital right now, and uh, he's getting some stitches. And then Mr. Panzeca said, get back to class. And so I, I started walking back to class. I got to the door, and he said, Donnie. And I turned around, and I said, yes, sir. He said, I, I don't think he's going to ask for your lunch money anymore. I said, okay. So I, I just went back to class, and um, I got home that day, and I had my big black eye, and my dad said, uh, did you fight him? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. And um, that was it. And that's so a uh, we dealt with bullies back in that day, but I know things have changed today, and I'm not encouraging anybody to fight, but I am saying this. We do fight in the spirit, and, and, and there's sometimes when you just, you just have to come to a place, even in the natural, where, where you got to fight. And I know some of you lose respect for me, but I was at a gas station last year in Stockton, and uh, this lady was pumping gas. She's about 23, 24 years old, and I was over there. I just finished working out, you know. I'm in my 50s. I still bench over 500, and I say it to brag, but I'm saying this for a fact. I had my tank top on. I was pretty blown up, and I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Had my pump on, just pumping gas. This guy pulls up with three guys in a van. They open it up, and they start yelling obscenities at this girl. I walked around and looked, and I could see this girl was scared. I thought, maybe they might try to kidnap her or something. I, I, I just looked, and, 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 and the guy in the van looks at me and said, what are you looking at? I said, I'm, I'm looking at you guys. I'm, I'm looking at you, and you're, you're, you're yelling cuss words at her. She ain't done nothing to you. And the guy looks at me and he goes, you want some of us? And I said, yeah, I do. And I, I reached into my truck, and I took a baseball bat out, and I started walking toward them with a baseball bat. And um, they did, took off. And then the girl, I'm sorry, but <laughs> the girl was shaking. She was crying. She said, mister, she said, I don't know who you are. She goes, I, I thought they were going to try to grab me and drag me in the van. She said, um, thank you. And she was crying, you know. And um, I said, you know, I'd like to think I have uh, two daughters that if they were in a situation like that, someone would be there for them. And um, the next week, though, I did lie. I had to repent later. I wanted and the guy in the service stations, you know, there where I got gas. He said, I heard you went after some guys with a baseball bat. And I said, no, I was asking them they want to play baseball. And I said, I, then I, then I repented. I said, no, I, I wouldn't have hit him in the head. I just broke the first guy's leg when he stuck out of the, his foot out of the car. I already had it planned out, but I wouldn't have hit him in the head, but I'd have broke his leg and then prayed for him. But in those situations, Sometimes <laughs> I'm in the right church because some of you feel me. You know, where I'm not trying to be mean. I ain't trying to be religious. I'm just, we just got to be real. <laughs> Are you fighting for faith? There is faith fighting for you. The Bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The Moffat translation says now faith means that we're confident of what we hope for. Convinced of what we do not see. God puts no limitations on faith. And faith puts no limitations on God. Faith pleases God. Instead, good works please God. Faith pleases God. First Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. Paul didn't just say, fight it. And he say, well, okay, go do it. He said, I have done it. He didn't say, just do it. He said, I've done it. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. He didn't say, fight the good fight of Paul. 
He said that had been Paul's fight. He didn't say fight the good fight of Timothy. He didn't say fight the good fight of Peter. He said fight the good fight of faith. You see in your Bible, we we speak of faith as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We speak of it as a gift of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 depicts faith as a weapon of the Spirit. The essence of this scripture is my faith is what fights for me. Fight the good fight of faith, which means ultimately that it's faith's fight. How many know we need faith to fight for us in this hour in which we're living? Life has no questions that faith cannot answer. I'm going to try this over here on this side. You guys look, we're the real people right over here. I said, life has no questions that faith cannot answer. I feel like Mario Morel. Brother, let, let me try this side. Somebody do something. <laughs> the Holy Ghost is all over you. <laughs> Did he really say that? Need I go on? What is it in this hour of dilemma and despair that's going to fight to keep you intact as a Christian? Faith. What is it's going to rise up a mighty pillar of truth against the onslaught of the enemy? Faith. What is it's going to punch holes in this present darkness that we're living in? It's faith. What is it's going to fuel our vision for revival in the East Bay? It's faith. It's not going to be the politician, the economist, the professor, the so-called theologian or secular humanist that's going to give us answers in this hour. The thing that's going to keep us in this crisis hour ahead is old-fashioned faith in his word. Faith in God. Faith. The Bible says the just shall live by explanation. The Bible says... The just shall live by opinion. The just shall live by faith. There are many things that I struggle against that are really not my battle at all. And I get frustrated. I begin to worry and fear comes in. I become more problem conscious than power conscious. Faith has never lost a battle. Ask Moses. Ask Joshua. David. Enoch. By faith Abel, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses. Faith has never lost a battle. By faith, Noah rode a storm into a rainbow. By faith, Abraham and Sarah birthed a promise into a people. By faith, Moses made a rolling sea a traveling surface. By faith, Rahab was transformed from a prostitute to a princess. By faith, Gideon went from a coward to a commander. I said, by faith. Now, there's a difference between faith and a miracle. I love miracles. They're instantaneous. I love them when they ha- I love when miracles break out. But there's a difference between faith and a miracle happening instantly. A miracle would have put out the fiery furnace for the three Hebrew children, but faith kept them in it while it burned.
You didn't hear me. I said a miracle would have killed the lions in Daniel's den. But faith kept him safe as he walked among the lions. See, sometimes we want that instant miracle. And God wants to walk through something in faith, trusting him, staying steadfast, hanging on to the word. And your confession and believing. See, you don't learn faith by the lecture method. You learn it in the laboratory of life. God is not as interested in the impartation of faith as he is in the development of faith. And he knows that faith develops best when it's against something. I mean, you can go into weight room and you can look at the weights all you want. But you don't get any stronger just looking at the weights. I travel and I'm always looking for a gym to work out in. I mean, it's hard to find a gym now with free weights. They got all these machines. Some of these machines, you, you don't even work out. You just sit on them. Then they got that one machine that only ladies, I don't even understand. They sit on it and they open it like that one. Do you see that one? I don't even know what that does for you. You never see a guy on that machine. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies. If you're on that machine, there's a guy somewhere around. He's creepy. If he's close to you, you're on that. He's a creepy guy. He's, he's, he's creepy. <laughs> and then they got, you ride the, the stair, the stairs, but they don't leave. You never get to the top. I get tired on that machine because I want a gold. I want to, I want to get to the top floor. And then the bicycles, you, you ride bikes that go nowhere. You just, I at least want to go around the gym a couple laps, but you just sit in the same place. And people now, they don't even talk to you. Everybody's got their headphones on. You notice that airports, everybody, iPad, everything is just, every, I, I want to preach a message. I'm going to call it, look up. Just look up. Enjoy life. Enjoy life's hopping around you. You're all caught up. And I know, you know, you can push a little button. You got all the answers. So my boy, I was watching Bullet, Steve McQueen, a couple of weeks ago with him. 16 years old. And Steve McQueen stopped at a phone booth, makes a phone call. He said, what's that, Dad? I said, it's a phone booth. He said, what? I said, a phone booth. I said, if Superman was alive today, he'd have no place to change. That's right. He didn't even know what a 45 was. I was trying to tell him about record players. Come on, help me. I remember those. Put that record on there and that needle and then record starts getting scratched and you take some duct tape and you wrap around uh, a quarter on the and it kept that needle down. Some of you know old school. That's old school. All this technology. They got people now when they sing those microphones, they got them so their voices go. They're on key. You didn't have to help Marvin Gaye get on key. He didn't need your microphone. He could sing. Crying out, great, he could sing. Temptations, 
Huh? They could, all of, they could sing. Now you go to a country. What is that? People famous for doing nothing. Nothing. Who wants to watch your show and watch you wash your hair? And who cares about what apartment you're going to rent this week? I don't care. <laughs> I get so mad at some of that. You ever flip channels and watch? You go, what is that about? I'm sorry. I got to get back here. To, um. What is faith fight, Donnie? Well, first of all, faith fights fear. Faith and fear are enemies. When my daughter, Brookie, was uh, three years old, she battled with fear. And I'd go in her room at night. And I remember I always tell her a story. She'd go, Daddy, tell me a story. And one night I said, Brookie, I'm not going to tell you a story. I said, I'm going to sing to you tonight. And she looked at me and said, oh, Daddy. She said, please don't sing. Please. I said, what? You don't want me to sing? She said, when you sing, it gives me a headache. <laughs> so she goes, I- I'm-, I'm battling with you know, she was just battling with fear. I, I, I battled, Daddy. I bow in fear and comes. And I said, listen, I'm going to teach you a scripture. Second Timothy 1.7 says, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. And I said it over and over. And then I said, Brookie, I want you to say it after me. And I'd say, for God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. For God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. But one of love, power, and a sound mind. I said, Brookie, I'm going to leave this room. When that devil comes in here with fear, and you feel that spirit of fear come on you, you just speak that out of your mouth loud. She said, yes, sir, Daddy. So I left the room, and I was standing outside in the hallway and just leaning in. After about two minutes, I heard, devil, oh, devil. (laughs) For God haven't given me a spirit of fear. We want to love, power, and sound mind. You get in the garbage can. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Fear has torment. Any torment is not of God. Faith is the white corpuscles of the spiritual anatomy. Anytime infection bacteria gets in your body, your white corpuscles come surround them, smother them. If you've got active faith in your life, anytime the bacteria of doubt, fear, error comes, here come the white corpuscles of faith. Ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. Where are you going? Child of God has just released me. Faith fights, conquers, and destroys fear. Now, the second thing that faith fights is feelings. You can't always depend on your feelings. If the devil finds out you live by your feelings all the time, he'll keep you as nervous as a termite in a yo-yo. Feelings change. And the divine purpose of recovery, you can't walk by your feelings all the time. My girls come to me in high school all the time. Donnie, my boyfriend says he loves me. He loves me. He says he feels things for me. He loves me. He feels things. He feels things. He feels what? He don't feel. Let me tell you something. Next time my guy says he is in love. You tell me he's not in love. He's in heat. And there's a big difference. <laughs> People have the feelings. Man, feelings lie. Feelings. Well, Donnie, it's hard. It's so hard. It's hard being single. It's hard being married. It's hard being a dog. It's hard being a cat. It's hard being a parakeet. Life is hard. Get over it. Well, Donnie, I, I come from a dysfunctional family. All our families are jacked up. 
Everybody's got some dysfunction, somebody, somewhere. Come on, we just finished Christmas. You know you had some crazy relatives at your house. Are you over their house? Man, I, I got relatives in Virginia. You're talking about crazy hillbillies up in the hills. I went back to do my Uncle Leonard's funeral, and uh, they had him cremated. And my cousin got mad at his stepmom, and they had him in a urine. He stole Uncle Leonard, put him in the car, had him in the trunk, driving out of town. We had to call the police to get Uncle Leonard so I could do the funeral. <laughs> it's crazy. Then my one cousin, he, he's a bouncer in the bar. He's like 6'5", 290 pounds. He's the bouncer. And he's mean. But his bar is tough. I had to go to the bar to get him to come to the funeral because he didn't want to go because he was mad at one of the cousins that were going to be there. So I had to go to the bar. I'm a preacher. I went down to the bar. This is a rough bar. It is so rough. They frisk you. Before you come in, if you don't have a weapon, they give you one. That's... That's... That's a rough bar. <laughs> and then, man, my one cousin, I know she does drugs, but she didn't have to advertise it. She had a plate with all these pills on it. And she was asking people, Do you, would you like one? And she came up to me and all these different colored pills. Cousin, would you like? I said, no. Man, they're passing drugs out like they were complimentary breath mints. <laughs> That's my family. I love them all. And then my one cousin stole the car while he was there. Stole another, stole his car. We couldn't find. They didn't want him to go to the funeral, so I had to go out and get him. And I had to get my two biggest cousins to walk him in the funeral so my other cousins didn't beat him up. Golly. Faith fights. Feelings. Feelings are like a sailboat. They go away the wind goes. Faith is like a steamboat. It goes where the captain says. We live by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5, 7. How do you think Noah felt? Tune into station N-O-A-H. He didn't even own a ship, boat, kayak, anything of the like. Didn't even live near the water. Hadn't even rained yet. And God says, I want you to build a yacht, a ship, a huge vessel. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And put one window. Get two of every animal on the face of the earth. One window. How many know people were fighting for window time? I, I, I want some fresh hair. Down in that ark with all those animals. Whew. Can you see them 10, 15 years building that ark? People coming by looking, laughing. I could see one of Noah's boys turn to his dad and say, Daddy, tell us one more time what God really said. After about 25 years working on this ark, no water, no rain. What was fighting his feelings? It was a faith in the God that called him to do it. The Bible says in Genesis 7, 5, and Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Job, how do you feel? The Bible calls him a righteous man and everything went wrong. 
His children were killed. Fire fell on the sheep. The Chaldeans carried off his camels and his wife backslid. How do you know she backslid? She told him to curse God and die. Tomorrow morning while you're shaving, if your wife walks in the bathroom, looks at you and says, curse God and die. It's not a word from the Lord. And Job had friends. And his friends came and they sat in a circle for seven days and just stared at him. Do you hate when people just stare at And finally, one friend spoke up. And he said, you're a hypocrite. I'm sure, Joe, like, thank you. Anyone else? Second friend, you have hidden sin in your life. I, I don't know if you have any friends like this, but I, I, I certainly do. I got one guy. I love him. He's a good friend, but he drives me crazy. Because he, he's always saying how God speaks to him. And if God speaks to him as much as he says God speaks to him, God would have a sore throat. Because he... He's always... You ever been around somebody so super spiritual? You just want to punch him sometimes. He's all... Would you like a cookie? Let me ask the Lord. That kind of guy. He told me like a week ago, hey, Donnie, you know, John chapter 8, when Jesus wrote in the sand, do you remember that? Woman cut, you know, wrote in the sand. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what he wrote. I said, man, no, no, nobody knows what he wrote. There have been sermons, there have been ideas. Nobody knows. He said, my friend, he knows. Nobody else knows, but my friend, he knows what he wrote. So he said to me, do you know what he wrote? I said, listen, man, I have enough trouble just to understand the things I know he wrote. <laughs> the third friend, you failed God somewhere. Fourth friend, you're a sinner and a hypocrite. For 18 chapters, where's Job's pastor? Or was his Bible? He was sitting in a city dump, scratching himself with a broken piece of pottery. Can't you hear him? Shut up. I've listened to you guys for 18 chapters. I don't know why my children are gone or, or why my wife's backslidden. But there's one thing that I do know. I knew and I do know and I'll always know when it's all said and done. My Redeemer is going to stand on the earth. What was he saying? He's saying, when I can't track God, I can trust God. When I can't trace him, I'm going to trust him. Faith can transform the afflictions of life into a ladder which you can climb to heaven on. Faith fights. Faith fights fear. Faith fights feelings. And thirdly, faith fights facts. Donnie, facts and figures don't lie, but faith can overcome them, work in spite of them, and faith will neutralize them. Only faith in God can stop the enemy. Only faith in God can take Goliath's sword sent to destroy you and cut his head off with it. Faith fights facts. I got saved in college I was doing steroids illegally, and I had a horrible reaction. There's something about the chemicals in my brain and steroids that do not mix. And I got very ill, very sick. A man gave me a Bible when I was 11 years old. I picked it up, began to read it for the first time in college. I came to faith. 
met Jesus Christ, my life was forever changed. But I um, met this beautiful Lebanese fox. I mean, she was beautiful. And we fell in love there in college and got married. And after a year or so of marriage, the doctors let us know that we would not be able to have children because steroids had damaged me to the degree that we were not going to be able to have children. And I began to pray and believe God one year, two year, three year, four years, no children, five years. We looked into adoption. I'm all for adoption, but God had put something in my heart. The city was going to get pregnant. We're going to have a baby six years, seven years, eight years. And she came to me after eight years of praying. And she said, Donnie, I'm late. And she wasn't talking about late for work. She said, I'm late. And I said, uh, what, what, do you, what, what would I do? What, what, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to go get a home pregnancy test. Now, back in the day, I didn't know what a home pregnancy test was. So I went to the store. And when you go to the store to get something like this, there's always a woman working. You know, my mom would send me to the store to get those feminine products for her sister, my sister and, and my mom. And there's always a woman working like, give me two of those right over. I think they're there or one of those there, two of them. So this lady takes me back. And she starts showing me all the home pregnancy tests. And I'm looking at them. And I just want to grab one and get to the front. Because I've done schools there, public schools. And some people know me there in Stockton. And, and I didn't want them seeing me buy home pregnancy tests. So I was like, I'll, I'll take that one. I, I get to the front. And I'm kind of carrying it close to me. And thought about stealing. But I, anyway, I, I just got to the front. And I put it down on the counter. And this guy... The, the clerk, he pulls, the, and what I feared came upon, he grabs the mic, price check number nine, home pregnancy, I go, no, I grab the mic out of his hand, I go, don't, you're doing, don't do that, I'll give you $30 for this thing right now, so I get the home pregnancy test home, I said, Cindy, take it, take it, she goes, you can't take it till morning, so I'm up all night, next morning she takes it, she comes out of the bathroom, she goes, well, Donnie, I think I'm I might be pregnant. What do you mean, might be? You can or not? She goes, I don't know. She says, go get another one. I said, what? Go get another one. I said, I'll go get another one. You're coming with me. So I take her to the store with me. We walk in the front door. There's a magazine rack there. She goes, I'm going to stay here next to the magazine rack. I said, what? So I'm going to stay here next to the magazine rack. I said, why are you doing that? The home pregnancy tests are over there and Row six, I, right over there. No, no I'm going to stay here. These people here know me. I shop here. I said, they know me. I was here yesterday buying one. And I'm telling you right now, guys, we'll never figure women out. You can go to all the conferences. You can read all the books. But I'm going to tell you why right now. God made them while we were asleep. Adam... Went to sleep single, woke up married. If you're here and you're a guy, you're single, don't go to sleep when God's working. I'm telling you, you know what's going to happen. So I go back and I get the second home pregnancy test, go to the counter. The guy looks at me like, back again? Same guy. They're on sale. I thought I'd get a couple of them. No, <laughs> I got home, city took it, we got home, she took it the next day, and she, three days later, took a blood test, and man, we're going to have our first child, and I was so excited, I was so fired up, I started reading every book I could get on pregnancy, 
I knew all the terms, potassium, water breaking, crowning. I knew every, I knew it all. I was ready, ready. I was Coach Donnie. I, there were two types of breathing you could use. One is called feather breathing, where you pretend there's a feather f- dropping from the ceiling, and you go, <laughs> and you push the feather up. And then, and the other is focus breathing, where you're like, focus. And it's, <laughs> man, I had my hat on, my coach's whistle, my clipboard. And I was in the, I was in the delivery room ready to go. And that first contraction came, my little five foot four brunette, beautiful, petite girl I met in college. Just, I was like, focus. She just looked at me like, like. No, I thought deliverance, deliverance. No, I didn't. I just went, okay. What does it say in the book? Crushed ice. Put crushed ice on their lips. So I went and I got some crushed ice and you put it on their lips because their lips are dry out. And she goes, and she spit it at me. So I put on some soft music. She goes, turn it off. I went over and I started rubbing her back. She goes, don't touch me. I know what to do. I thought you keep this up. You're going to lose a good coach. I'm going to leave. And then she just looked at me. It's so embarrassing. Everyone's in there. She goes, look what you've done to me. I was like, I'm sorry. I was trying to be such a good coach. And then the contractions started coming faster and harder. And I go, focus, focus. And so she looks at me. And I go, let's breathe together. Got through it. Got through that contraction. Next one came. Got through it. I thought, man, I am doing good. I'm really doing good right now. I'm a good coach. And then the next one came and it started coming faster. I was like, my fingers are tingling. I go, oh my God, I'm hyperventilating. So I'm down on one knee. I'm holding the bed. I so, said, Mr. 500-pound bench press, I'm passing out. Ah. I remember the doctor, he said, you can push. I said, I'm too tired. <laughs> this is a true story. I totally passed out. And then um, I, woke, I woke up in time for my daughter to be born. And the guy pulls out these scissors. He goes, Mr. Moore, you cut the umbilical cord. So... So I get this scissors, I'm like, I'm so nervous. And the doctor goes, that's my wrist. He's a very thin doctor. <laughs> so I, I cut the umbilical cord, and then they hand her to me. She opens her eyes, and she, oh, man, she's like just crying, and I'm crying, and it was incredible. She's 23, and and then God gave us. You know, through his miracle power, another little girl, a couple of years later, she's now 21 and my boy is 16. And, um, when people say they don't believe in miracles, I always tell them I had the privilege of putting three to bed every night. He's so good. Faith fights facts. I'm going to change your name, Abram. What are you going to change it to? Abraham. What does Abraham mean? It means Father. Of nations. How many kids do you have, Abraham? 
Abraham said something. He said, I'll never stagger. I'll never get drunk enough on the things of this world of success to stagger at the promises of God. And sometimes we get so drunk on materialism. We get so drunk, caught up in the things of this world that we can actually stagger at the promises that are in this book. Ten years pass. How many kids do you have, Mr. Abraham? Goose egg. Fifteen years. How many children do you have, Abraham? Still none. Twenty years. After 25 years, I'm sure someone looked at Abraham and Sarah and just simply said, how old are you, Mr. Abraham? I'm 100. Sarah, how old are you? 90. Have you two studied eighth grade biology? <sighs> but just as God said, Isaac was born and his seed became as the stars of the sky, and the sand of the seashore, because faith fights facts. Think about this. We don't know the exact age, but when Isaac was young, he was told to go to a mountain, a mountain with his father, by his father. Isaac, he was being obedient to what his daddy asked him because the heavenly father said to Abraham, I want you to take your son. And then he said something interesting when you read this passage in Genesis. He said, your only son. And then he said, the son you love. Could there have been a conversation that went something like this, according to one theologian? Take your son. I have two sons. The one you love. I love both my sons. Take Isaac. God has a way of naming the thing that we need to put on the altar when we won't even name it. Take your son. I've got two sons. The son you love. I love both my sons. Take Isaac. God will name the thing in your life that you're holding on to that he wants for you to bring to the altar and give to him. Well, he takes Abraham, takes Isaac, and they're going to Mount Moriah. In the Hebrew, it means Mount Teach Me. And on the way, three-day journey, I'm sure he was rolling over in his sleeping bag, grabbed a little sand, looked at the stars, your descendants shall be the stars of the sky, sand of the seashore. What was he holding on to? A promise? What was he believing? Faith. So he now gets to the foot of the mountain, starts walking up the mountain. Oh, you know the story. He gets to the top, ram in the thicket. But I want to say to you right now, that ram didn't just instantly appear on the mountain. Somewhere that ram was in the valley below, and that ram began a journey. And what I'm saying to you is Abraham and Isaac was going up one side of the mountain. The answer was coming up the other side, but he couldn't see it. That's how it is when we're walking by faith. We're believing, we're standing, and we're walking up the mountain. Sometimes you get tired, and sometimes you're, you're, you're pushing, and you're, and you're believing, and you don't see the answer. But when he got to the top, faith fights Facts. Faith fights facts. And lastly, faith fights fatalism. Have you ever felt like quitting? You ever felt hopeless? Donnie, people, they don't know what I'm going through, but faith does. Faith does. Faith fights fear. Faith fights feelings. Faith fights facts. Faith fights fatalism. You ever been hit so hard with something 
You ever have something slapped you so hard in the face that you even question God's existence? You ever gone through something so difficult, so painful that, that you just fall on your knees and say, God, where are you? I have. 2008, I was training for the World Bench Press Contest for 50 and older. And I was well on my way to break the record. I was benching over 500 and feeling awful strong. But I decided to go down to a supplement store and get some added help, a little testosterone booster and a few other things. I did not know because I bought them across the counter that they were lined with steroids. I told you about my system, my chemicals in my brain and steroids, they don't mix. Well, I started taking this supplement. And 2008, I went a few days without sleeping that turned into weeks. I went from a few weeks of not sleeping into a deep depression. I've never been depressed a day in my life. They told me the serotonin was leaking out of my brain and, and I needed to get on some antidepressants. And so I'm one of the 7%. They can't take antidepressants, but I was taking them anyway. It made me worse. A few months went by. Of course, when I was down here in Hayward, um, I stayed a couple of days at George's and Pastor Mark, Pastor Brenda came over and they prayed with me, believed with me, encouraged me. And I thank you for that. I really do. Because friends that were there during this difficult time to pray and encourage me. But you know what? I was out of the pulpit. I didn't care if I preached again. I even had thoughts of suicide. I was at my deepest, darkest point. I confessed sins to God that I had never even committed. I was doing anything I could to get better. But through it all, I didn't lose faith in God. There were times when I was mad at God. There were, there were times when I was frustrated. There were times when I just would cry out. But like David, I learned something in the Psalms. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to pour your heart out. David would say, you're, God, you're, you're not here. It's not fair. I don't know, where, but I praise you anyway. You are a great and mighty God. David would, you know, God, kill my enemies. My enemies are, are all around me, and, and they're so bad. W wipe them out, God. Why are you even letting them exist? Why are the, the, the evil ones being blessed and prospering and all those things are in his heart. He just poured out. And then he would say, but God, you are God. You will never leave me. You'll never forsake me. God, you love. And that's the dialogue. Praying four hours a day, five hours a day, not hearing anything. God, do you care? God, are you, are, are, are you hearing me? But by faith, holding on by a thread, not letting go. Eric Chavez, now with the Diamondbacks, played with the Yankees last year was our gold glove third baseman for the Oakland Athletics. I had the privilege of discipling Eric, seeing him come to Christ and even baptizing him in uh, water and praying for him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and just watching him grow up in the Lord. He called me. He said, I want to come and see you. I said, you don't want to see me. I don't want anyone to see me right now. He said, I'm coming. And Eric came with Adam Melhews, and they uh, said, you got to go to our team doctor. He can help you. And they got me to the Oakland A's team doctor. And he looked at me and said, I've treated this before and I can treat it again. And through prayer and the wisdom of this man, and we have become so close since I've even spoken at a few of his functions, he introduce, introduces me. <laughs> he said, I'm a liberal Jew from New York, and this is my evangelical dear friend, Donnie Moore. I mean, it's just, I, I just pick him up and I see him and just hug him. It's amazing um, how God uses people and how 
God used prayer. And six weeks I came out. And I've never been the same. I don't know why I went through what I went through. But I can tell you this. I am a better dad. I, I know that I'm a better person, a better husband. And I just want to say to you as Tom comes and we close, for those that are here this morning, I, I want you to hear me. Don't lose faith in God. Just because God is not doing it in your life the way he did it in the life of the person beside you doesn't mean God is not relevant and evident in your life. Maybe he's taking you a different way. It may take you longer. It may be harder, more difficult. It may take years. But God knows how to take you where he needs you to be. And he knows how to get you there. So don't lose faith in him. God is just, but God is not fair. What, Donnie? I said, God is just, but God is not fair the way we understand fairness. See, we understand fairness this way. God did it for me, and so he's going to have to do it exactly the same way for you. He knows that I might be able to handle what you can't handle. And you can handle what I can't handle. I want you to know, those of you that are in a place right now of difficulty this morning, you're in the right place right now. See, when you lose faith in God because he didn't do it for you the way you heard he did it for someone else, he never told you he was going to give it to you the way he gave it to somebody else. I know, brother and sister, they came to church and they were prayed over and they got an inheritance and they paid all their debt. But you might have to make payments. See, don't lose faith in God because he chose to take you through a process that takes longer than the people you heard about. And you'd be surprised at people in this room, even though they come to church, and they lift their hands, but their faith has been diminished and they're, and, and they're struggling. And, and some folks are here today and maybe you've lost faith in God and you're going through all the motions of church and you're battling and you're struggling and you're, you're trying to find your way. Listen to me. He deals with us differently. Your testimony may inspire me, but I refuse to allow it to frustrate me. So we want people's testimony to inspire us, but not to frustrate us. I mean, you never see on television. A pastor at a church is 100 has 100 people in his church say, man, our, our church is on fire and we love God and we worship God and we're believing God for our city. No, you always have the biggest, the best, the fastest. I used to do these big youth conferences in America. And after I did this big one, a, a youth pastor wrote me and he said, you know, Donnie, I, I loved hearing you speak. And it was a major conference in the country. But he said, I can't relate to what's happening there. He said, I see this guy get up that's running over a thousand kids in his youth group. He said, I, I have to work part time and then I'm the janitor at the church. I help out with children's and I'm doing the youth. And he said, you know, it's just so unrealistic, the vision that's painted there. And I, and I read his letter and I contacted him and we had a great conversation. And this several years ago really helped me because the guy that put the conference on had a Bible school that he was drawing 200 students from. 
he had unlimited amount of buses to bus kids to the meeting. You see where I'm going with this? He had four time, full, full time youth pastors under him. And so these youth pastors would go to those meetings and sit and watch all this and leave there, not encouraged, but the testimony frustrated him. And the reason I shared what I have gone through, because one guy told me, Donnie, people will think less of you. And I said, I really don't care at this point in my life. I'm, I'm in my fifties. I've done this enough. You know, I, we have created theologies that cause people to walk away from God. I told pastor, I saw a guy last week on television, tell people to so into his ministry. Every time he gets a car, they're going to get a car. I heard him with my own ears say that. And I thought, you know, so many people hear that. And here's what happens when whatever they're believing for doesn't come to pass like they thought it should. Then they not just question God, they begin to question themselves. And this is what they say. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm evil. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm bad. In some cases, they just leave church. They give up on God. Because they think God's given up on them. So when Darwin shares his testimony of eight and a half years of being a drug addict, set free in one night completely, and everybody applauds. But what about someone that's out here this morning? That you love God, you've been saved for 20 years, but yet you still battle addiction. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you less. Doesn't mean you don't count. And along the way, some of you have had some detours and you've gone through some divorce, maybe gone and done some time in jail, or, or, or maybe you had a detour and you've been out of church and you've been battling alcohol and, and you think somehow that, what am I doing here? As a matter of fact, if I got honest today, you would say something like this. God looks out at a crowd like this and says, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, but I'm not so sure about you. And, and you feel like you're the one that sits here this morning and somehow, some way that God is not pleased and happy that you're here. He loves you. I leave you with this thought and I promise I'm going to pray for you. It's interesting to note that in Job 42 and 16, it said, after this, Job lived 140 years. After this, what are you talking about after this? After all the hell, after all the mess, after all the loss, after all the difficulty, after this, the blessing, <laughs> he lived 140 years. And then I, I talked about a guy named Noah. And, and think about this. Noah, it says in Genesis 9, 28, I gave you Job 42, 16. After this, Job lived 140 years. But in Genesis 9, 28, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. After devastation, after destruction, after losing it all. Some of you right now need an after this. After this, after all the things, God, you're going to bring me through it. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm going to keep believing. I'm not going to lose faith in you, God. 
Faith is in my heart. And God, when I can't track you, I'm going to trust you. God, when I can't figure out right now which way, God, I just want you to know you are the only way. And God, today, I'm limping, but I'm coming. God, I'm walking slow, but I'm coming. I don't understand everything that's happened around me, God, but I'm coming. God, I'm not going to lose faith in you, God. I don't know how it's going to work out. But God, if all I heard today in this sermon was after this, after this, and after 2008, I stand before you, 2013. God, thank you for after this. Because when I was in the midst of it, when Pastor Mark would look at me and say, Donnie, you're going to come out of this. You're going to, in those days, you're just sitting there. When someone comes up to me, and they say, Donnie, I've been battling with depression. Man, before, I just say, well, God, just help them. Now I know. I know. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads, Father? I've gone longer than I should. We've laughed this morning, God. We've cried. And now, God, it's, it's your time. Holy Spirit, would you come? We sang our songs. We preached our preach. And now I need you to do your work, Lord. God, as you have been moving among hearts while I've been preaching, everybody in this room, Lord, has something they're going through. God, behind every face is a story. There's a life. And God, I'm asking you to come right now. I'm wondering with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody here today you just need to turn your life over to Jesus Christ? God forbid, if you were to breathe your last breath on this earth today, you don't know that you'd go to heaven. Maybe you were brought by a friend. Maybe you're here today and you've been hanging out for a few weeks or months here. But now God has brought you to the moment of decision. And would you just give your heart to him, invite him, to come in and be your savior. I'm not going to stand you up. I'm not going to call you forward. But I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody like that this morning who would say, Donnie, I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my savior. Know that heaven's my home. And right now, that I can begin to live this victorious life, even in difficulty, that God is with me. And he'll lead me, take me through any obstacle. I'm ready to rescind. I'm ready to surrender to that Jesus today. If that is you and you're here today and you would like to invite Jesus Christ in your heart, I'm going to ask you something very simple. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you're at? Again, I'm not going to stand you up over here in the side. Someone else over here, down over here, over here in the back, right over here. Thank you, son. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Thank you, ma'am. It's the Holy Spirit. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you over here. I realize some of these hands are being extended and making recommitments, but there's some for the first time. They're saying yes to Jesus today. Isn't that exciting? That wonderful. So believers, would you pray? And those that are coming into the faith, those that are praying to receive Jesus Christ into their hearts today, would you pray this prayer? And if you didn't raise your hand, he went to the cross for you. He'll save you right where you're seated. 
Would you pray out loud with me together? All of us. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Change me. Make me the person you want me to be. God, I'm so glad you didn't come to take away my fun, but you came to take away my pain. I give you my hurt. I give you my frustration. I give you my sin. And I receive your forgiveness, your love, your peace, your guidance. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Now, wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Now, could I have everybody stand right now? Would everybody in the building stand? Everybody, please. Would you bow your heads one more time as you stand? Everyone standing. If you're here today, right now, and you're battling fear, fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of death. I had a word in the first service for someone that has had cancer in their family. And they felt it's just a matter of time before cancer shows up in their body. And they've been battling that fear. And that person came to me at the end of the service and let me know that that was them. And if you're here today and there's fear that's on your life, fear that there's a cutback at work and you're going to be next, fear that you're not going to be able to make payments on bills that are due at the end of the month, fear of the night fear of the people of the night but fear is something that you really battle with would you hold your hand up would you come on yeah 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 i'm going to move quickly second area faith not only fights fear but feelings feelings of depression feelings of discouragement emotional issues right now hold your hands up come on we're going to pray we're going to pray i'm just wanting to know where you're at thirdly faith fights facts Facts and figures don't lie, but faith can overcome them. Faith can defeat them. Somebody here today is battling physically in their body. They need a physical healing. Would you hold your hand up today? You need a healing in your body. Yeah, 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 yeah. And lastly, and this is the one that I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to speak directly to you. Faith fights fatalism. You didn't want anyone to know when you came here today what condition you're in spiritually but I'm going to tell you right now as I'm speaking to you because I wasn't going to go in direction of this message last night I got in my hotel room I prayed for two hours and the Lord spoke to me directly to preach this message this morning and there's somebody here today that you have come to the end thoughts of suicide thoughts of um, ending your marriage thoughts of walking away from God, thoughts that it just led you to the point where you're saying, God, I need you to show up in my life. I'm talking about fatalism. You're at that point right now where you just need a breakthrough. And the only way I can describe this is your faith has been injured. Your faith is injured. And today God wants to heal and he wants to restore as pastor said earlier in his prayer, that's what this church is. 
It's a reaching church. It's a teaching church. It's a church of healing. So as Tom leads us, if you raised your hand in any four of those areas, I'm going to ask when he begins to sing that you step out. This is your act of faith. This is your moment to mix actions with movement and come. You might be limping, but come on. You might be walking slow, but come on. You might have a heavy heart, but come on. I want you to come if you raise your hand because faith fights. If you raise your hand for fear, come. If you raise your hand for feelings, come. If you raise your hand right now for facts, physical, come. If you raise your hand for fatalism, nobody will know. God knows. Come right now. Come. Just come. Come. I'm not you and you're not me. God's taking you another way. Oh, may your testimony inspire me. But I'm not going to let it any longer frustrate me. I know what God's doing in my life. He's doing something in your life today. Come on. Come on. Step out. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. Tom, go ahead and lead us. Lord, I 